Father, thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence. And your presence really is fullness of joy. I pray that you lead our hearts to believe that more clearly and more deeply today. That we would be drawn into a deeper understanding of all that you are offering and promising to us. Father, I pray that we would walk out of here to allow you to live out your joyful life of obedience. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So I hope that some of you will be able to join tomorrow to help Chris out in painting up at the school. But it was a bit before that, about six months ago or so, that we were working on another project up at the multi-purpose building. We were working on the picnic structure. As we were working on the the roof that day, honestly, when I'm at those projects, I just look around for somebody to tell me what to do because I don't really know what I'm doing most of the time. But I think I was maybe painting that day or we were putting handing roof panels up. Well, as I'm doing this, all of a sudden I looked off across the school grounds and as I looked over, I suddenly saw people running after chickens, right? So as I saw this happening, in fact, I'm going to show you a video clip because I was so excited about it that I took a video of them running after the chickens. You'll notice that that is Jerry Shepard holding a rake in her hand chasing chickens and, and her husband has some other long implement chasing chickens. So I saw them running after these chickens. And at first I came running across the playground thinking, I've got to help them catch the ki- to the chickens. The chickens are going to get away. The kids are going to be so sad that their chickens got away. As I got closer, I realized they weren't actually trying to chase the chickens towards the pen. They were trying to chase the chickens away from the pen. So I joined them for a little bit. I didn't know why they were doing it, what was going on. But then I began to notice something. The chickens would run as fast as they could back to the pen. We'd get one or two of them further away, but then they would all go back and they would get as close to the pen as possible and they'd be walking up against the fence trying to get back into their pen. And then I looked a little closer. Do you notice anything about these chickens? The picture's a little dark there, sorry. But can you notice anything? Anything strange about these chickens in this picture? Well, if you can see the picture more clearly, they're what I now understand the term to be henpecked means. Because there's a bunch of hens living together, and apparently they're not very nice. They live in small quarters. And the reason that they were trying to chase them out of this pen was so that they could let their feathers grow again. Because you'll notice this one on the bottom left actually has no tail feathers, the poor thing. Its its feathers had been plucked off by other birds. The other one, you'll notice different parts of skin are showing. And so they desperately realized that they needed to get these chickens out of the pen and out to a better place. Now, where they were trying to get the chickens to go to was this beautiful green grass with probably lots of little bugs going around in it, things that the chickens probably hadn't gotten to enjoy. They've been eating the same chicken meal every day. Well, they, they give them lots of good stuff. Don't feel too bad for our chickens. They really do take pretty good care of them. But they were trying to get these chickens to go into greener pastures. And the chickens simply didn't want to go. They didn't understand what was going on. They, they couldn't quite comprehend what Jeff and Jerry were trying to do for them. It kind of reminds me of one day when the disciples got in the boat. They went across the Sea of Galilee, as you read about them doing many times. And right as they got to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said to them, Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And suddenly the disciples started talking to each other. They said, Oh no, did you bring bread? 
Peter looks around, no, I didn't bring bread. Did you bring bread? That was Philip's job. Philip, did you bring bread? And pretty soon they're all talking amongst each other and they, they realize, one of the gospels says, they only have one loaf of bread. There's 12 guys, one loaf of bread. How are they going to live off of that? And they're discussing amongst each other, why didn't we bring bread? And now Jesus is telling us, make sure that you don't buy bread from Pharisees and from Sadducees. And Jesus looks at them, and you can open it up in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16 says this. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 8 says, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of, what does it say? O you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. And then he goes on to ask them a series of questions. He says, when I broke the bread, you remember that there were 5,000 people, they were hungry, and I was moved with compassion, and, and I broke the bread for them. How many baskets full did you pick up afterwards? And they're thinking about it. They say, okay, well, uh, there was 12 baskets, 12 baskets we picked up afterwards. Okay, well, when I broke the loaves and multiplied them for the, the 4,000, how many baskets did you pick up afterwards? Say, well, there was... There were seven baskets. Now, I'm putting together what Mark also records this story, and he records the disciples' answers. Matthew doesn't record that. So after he goes through this, and he, he tells them all this, then Jesus goes on to say this in verse 12. Then, or then they understand this in verse 12. It says, Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he wants them, first of all, to realize, hey, you're worried about bread. You only have one loaf of bread. But what I want you to remember is I'm the God who multiplied bread for you. When you had need, I multiplied five loaves and two fish for 5,000 men, let alone women and children. I am able to provide for your needs. Why are you worried about this? Why are you stressing out about having one loaf of bread? And I believe that Jesus may have had an idea that that's the way that this conversation was going to go when he brought up the whole thing about the leaven and the scribes and the Pharisees. Because then he goes on to say, or they begin to realize that he's talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what was the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Why was Jesus trying to warn them about this doctrine? What was the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees? Well, if you look over in Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, Jesus here, it tells that he says something different. It says this, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, what does it say? Hypocrisy. So there he doesn't say beware of the doctrine. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven some of you may make bread and you know that when you put leaven into the bread, it, it makes the whole thing assimilated by that leaven. It becomes, it, it raises through that. And the kingdom of God is sometimes compared to leaven. Sin is sometimes compared to leaven. But here we have hypocrisy is compared to leaven. The doctrine of the Pharisees was hypocritical. Basically, we can see from what Jesus is saying. So what does that look like? In Matthew chapter 23, we find a chapter where Jesus actually says seven different times, woe to you hypocrites. Seven different times he calls out the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. 
Seven different times he describes what their hypocrisy is like. It's one of the the more difficult chapters to read that Jesus is saying. Because as Jesus is saying it, you, you have to imagine the tone of his voice. You have to imagine the tears in his eyes as he's saying this to the scribes and Pharisees. Because what he's saying is kind of intense. But we're going to go through just a little glimmer of it and see what it might apply to us, how it might apply to us today. Matthew 23 and verse 5 says this, But all their works they do to be seen by men. This really is a good way of summarizing what hypocrisy is. It's putting on a front. It's making it look like uh, it, it's, a, it's a Greek word that I believe was used by actors in order for them to, to go and to portray a different character than who they actually were. But all their works they do to be seen by men. Now what were some of the works of the Pharisees? What were some of the things that, that they were passionate about? It's not a rhetorical question. Any answers? What were some of the things that, that the Pharisees were passionate about? The Sabbath keeping, the law, more than just the law, right? They would call it the law, but there were 613 laws that they were very particular about all of those. What else were they, were their works? Praying in public. Yeah. Right after this, it goes on to say that they, they put phylacteries on their foreheads so that they, they read in the Old Testament that it said, let the law of God be in your mind. And so they actually strapped it on their foreheads and they would make phylactery boxes, which if you go to Jerusalem, they still do the same thing. And it says you lengthen the borders of your robe, which that blue border we've talked about before represented the law of God as Deuteronomy talks about. So the, all their works they do to be seen by men. Then it goes on to say this. Sorry, one, ver, one slide before that. Verse 25 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. All right, so he says you have a cup and you're cleansing the in the outside of your experience, but not the inside. So I wanted to to grasp this a little more to to make it it real for me and hopefully for you this morning as well. So I got a cup, and I I, I did this this morning. I took a picture of this cup, <clears throat> and here you'll see that does that look like a pretty clean cup to you? No, it doesn't. I need to know that you're alive this morning. <laughs> At least smile if you're alive. Okay, so this cup looks pretty clean. It looks clean. Okay. So I decided, okay, he says you cleanse what part of the cup? The outside of the cup. So obviously, the cup isn't clean altogether. So I had to find a cup. I had to make the cup not clean at all, right? In fact, I brought the cup here for you today, but I'm going to show you something else first. So first of all, the cup it's filthy. This might represent who we really are. If you think about how in Isaiah chapter 64, it says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are so far short of the beautiful picture that we see in Jesus of what true love is like. Self-sacrificing, other-centered love. We're naturally filthy. So what does he say that the Pharisees do? What do the Pharisees do? What's, what makes them hypocrites? 
So they clean the outside of the cup. So I had my dirty cup. I got some soap out. I got a sponge out. And I brought the soap and sponge today in case we need it some more. Right? And I cleaned the outside of this cup. There you go. There is a clean cup. And I have it here for us today. So I need a young volunteer to come up here for me. I'm going to look for one. Uh, let's have Gunner come up here. Right? <clears throat> Gunner, if you'll come on up here. I have this beautiful, clean cup. What do you think, Gunner? You like it? Yeah. Do you like almond milk? I shouldn't have called you up if you don't like almond milk. You like it? You're okay with it? Okay. Good, good. So I brought some almond milk for you today. Would you like to drink some almond milk? Can you keep the, take the cap off for me? Perfect. It's kind of on hard, huh? There you go. Okay. So I brought some almond milk for you, and are you good with drinking from this cup since it's a clean cup? Yeah, totally good with that. All right, so here you go. You still good with drinking from? No? You told me you'd drink from my cup. You don't want to drink from it anymore. It's good. The almond milk is good almond milk. Really, truly. But here, you can have some from this cup because you don't want to drink from the same jar I did. Whoops, I'm making a mess. Why not? What's wrong with the cup? It's dirty inside, and so that makes the milk not too good? You wouldn't want to drink it? Nope. Even if the cup's pretty full? No? Okay. <clears throat> All right, you can go back to your seat. <laughs> Thanks, Gunner. But wait, hang, hang on, Gunner. What if I clean this cup a little bit more? What if I get some soap out and I, and I scrub the outside a little bit more? Would you then drink, drink the milk? No? Still won't drink my milk. Okay, thank you. You can go back to your seat. All right. Gunner doesn't want my milk, which looks a little bit more like chocolate milk at this point in time, because the cup is dirty on the inside. There's something missing in the experience of the Pharisees, and that's what it looks like inside, in case you were wondering. Jesus goes on to say this, blind Pharisee. So this is, this is something that they cannot recognize, that they, they don't have eyes to see, that they're, they're not aware of. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse what? The inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. So what exactly is he talking about? At this point in time, I'm not really sure what's the inside of the cup, what's the outside of the cup, but let's keep reading and we'll find a little bit more. Verse 27 goes on to say this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, there it is again, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. If you go to Jerusalem, you actually will see their tombs are like, they're whitewashed. And inside, they're full of dead man's bones. The fact that you make the outside of the box white and beautiful does not change what's inside of it. So Jesus goes on to say this, Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I'm going to be honest that most of my life, I've read this verse and I've thought, man, those Pharisees, those are bad people. I mean, they're plotting to kill Jesus, they're, they're doing all these horrible things, and obviously this does not apply to me. And just recently, I began to think about it. I think it was one day when, I'm not going to tell you the circumstance, but something happened, 
And I'm really proud of the way I reacted. I reacted really kindly to something that was really frustrating, something that was not necessarily easy to handle. And I treated that person with love and respect. And as I walked away, inwardly, I was doing... Uh, I, I was frustrated inside. I was clenching my teeth. I noticed that inside there was something wrong. Have you ever felt that way before? In our obedience, is it possible that we too become hypocrites? What are we saying this morning? So Jesus is looking at him and he's saying, okay, you're hypocrites because on the outside you look good. You're keeping the Sabbath. You're going through the motions. But inwardly, And I used to think, well, that just means what they're doing behind closed doors. That means what they're secretly doing. But he's not just talking about what they're secretly doing, but he's talking about their heart. And I know that if you look in Mark chapter 7, he goes on and he says this, He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but the issue is that their heart is far from me. And that hits me like a ton of bricks. Because I think about a lot of the stuff that I do as a Christian, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I don't always enjoy all of it. I don't always want to do what I'm doing. It's not always from the heart. It's not always just overflowing in my experience. I'm not always loving people beyond the actions. It's not always my heart. Maybe I'm the only one this morning, but I have a feeling that some of the rest of us may struggle with that too. You may be patient on the outside, but inside you can be boiling over. You may be able to not be angry with a person, but inside you're boiling over. It may be that that we treat somebody. In fact, look at how Jesus goes on to explain this in, actually this was early on, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter, well, first we'll, we'll finish this. Mark 7 goes on to say this, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. So this is all has its seed in our heart. Thefts, covetousness. You can covet something without ever saying anything. You can covet something without ever having an action. You're not actually going and stealing anything. You're not taking anything. You're just looking at that guy's car and saying, I wish that was my car. And Jesus is saying that's a problem that's in our hearts. Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And and Jesus is saying that, that really we're a hypocrite If we've washed the outside, meaning we don't act out on those feelings that we have in our heart. We're angry, but we don't beat somebody up. (laughs) We're frustrated, we're, we're impatient, we're, we're covetous, but we don't steal somebody's car. We're lusting after a woman, but we're not actually following through on the feelings of our heart. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 5. He says this in verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, unless your cup is clean on both the inside and the outside, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is pretty serious what he's saying here. 
And then he goes on to describe it in verse 21. He says, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Right? So obviously it's not good to murder. But I say to you that whoever... We skipped some verses there, huh? We need to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22 because we skipped a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22 goes on to say that if in our hearts we are even angry with somebody, we have already committed murder. Verse 22 says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So just to be angry with somebody leads me to be in danger of the judgment, Jesus says. goes on to say in verse, uh, we'll skip down to verse 28, and it says this, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is pretty heavy. You know, Jesus teaches us things that, that get to the root, the heart of what we're thinking about in our relationship with him, that that it's not okay to just act like everything's all right on the outside. And we can look at this and we can get kind of frustrated and think, well, how am I going to change my heart? And that's exactly the question that we should be asking this morning because John, uh, Job chapter 14 and verse 4 says, how can an unclean thing bring something clean out of it? It's impossible. Isaiah says, can, a, can an Ethiopian change his skin or can a leopard change his spots? So then can you, being unrighteous, become righteous? Our hearts are naturally deceitful and wicked, Jeremiah says. They naturally go after everything wrong. But the beautiful thing of the gospel is that God is in the business of transforming all that. When Jesus is telling us how to live, how to look at people, how to treat people, it's really telling us a promise of what he's longing to do in our lives. Desire of Ages describes it like this. All true obedience comes from where? The heart. Now, so far this is sounding kind of difficult. But I want you to hang with me because it's actually incredibly beautiful to think about. It was heart work with Christ. So even for Christ, coming down and taking on human flesh, He, like you and I, took on temptations at the heart level. And if we, what is that word? Consent. If we allow Jesus. He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. So blend our hearts and mind into conformity to his will. That Here's the good news. That when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Alright, so I don't know if you get that. But that's incredibly beautiful. Jesus came to be a full and complete Savior to the place where He wants you to have impulsive obedience in your life. Does that sound a little wrong to go together, impulsive obedience? That's what it says. When obeying Him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. And wasn't this the experience of Jesus? If you think about it, what does Psalm 40 in verse 8 says? It says, I delight to do your will, O my God, for your law has been written in my heart. Jeremiah 31 goes on to say that the new covenant is that God is going to write his law in our heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 tells us that he wants to give us a clean heart so that we can walk in his statutes and his judgments. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse, and and also chapter 10 tells us that in the new covenant, 
He will write that law on our heart through the Holy Spirit. And when that takes place, look at how Desire of Ages continues. It says, the will refined and sanctified will find its, what does that say? Highest delight in doing His service. We will come to delight to do His will. So why is this so crucial? Why is it so important in our lives? When we were when I was in England just, just a couple of weeks ago and I was talking with the young people, I came to realize that, that they're a part of an immigrant church. Sadly, in England, you need to pray for Europe because Europe has become... Um, the, those who grew up in Britain have basically left the church in England and also you'll see that in the rest of Europe. There's very few uh, people who grew up in the country who are in the church. The people that I was speaking with were mainly either from the Caribbean or from India, from Africa, different places. And as they were talking about it, they said, we wanted you to come because we're worried about our kids. Because as we try to explain to them to be faithful and follow God, as we try to explain to them what that means, they're beginning to walk away from the church. And during that week, I was sharing with them about knowing Jesus as your friend. I was sharing with him that whole principle that it's not about what you do, it's about who you know, and that who you know will change what you do. That's what Desire of Ages goes on to say. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with Him, sin will become hateful to us. Is it hard to avoid something that's hateful? Is it something that you have to clench your teeth in order to, to not get into if you hate something? I was talking to one of the young boys there, and I was talking to him about, so they call it football, we call it soccer. Do you have a hard time going out and playing football? No, I love to. I love to take my friends out there. That's what as you come to know Jesus as your friend. That's what he wants, all of his service, all of the, the obedience in your life. All of that is going to flow from the heart. And that's something that you cannot create. That's why David, after his sin with Bathsheba, he said in Psalm 51 and verse 10, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And when that takes place, we begin to find that our highest delight, our greatest joy, is to walk the Christian walk, to live for Jesus. So this morning, I have two things going on when I realize what Jesus is teaching. On the one side, it's sobering. Because I realize that I'm a hypocrite. I'll stand here and I'll tell you, as pastor, I'm a hypocrite. I come with a smile on my face, and I may not always be feeling that way inside. I may be nice to people and not always be thinking the nicest thoughts. And that breaks my heart because what I want is the heart of Jesus. The heart that looks at people, that loves people, that feels what people are going through, that would give my own life for other people. And I recognize that I can't create that, that my heart is beyond my control. And we're not here today to say, well, do like the world's doing and whatever your heart says follow it just follow your heart that's why we have education about 23 different genders in our schools that's why we have a lot of different confusing things going on as we're just saying let's just follow whatever we feel that's not what the bible is telling us what the bible is telling us however is that there is a law 
And that law reveals the character of God. The character of God is selfless, other-centered love that lifts other people up, that lives for other people, that, that rejoices in other people's good. And God wants to write that law in our hearts so that it's not just a head knowledge with us. It's not just that we are consenting that it's right, but that actually we truly love God. That it's out of the joy that we have, the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. That it's out of the joy that Jesus gives us that we obey. It becomes a delightful thing to obey God. Matthew 5 and verse 43, Jesus continues and he says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's kind of another doctrine that the... that, that, that one you won't find in the Old Testament, right? You'll find the love your neighbor part in Leviticus, but you won't find and hate your enemy. But Jesus goes on to say this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Friends, that is beyond our grasp. The good news today is not just that we are sobered by the fact that we need a higher reality, but the good news is that Jesus is promising to give us that higher experience. He goes on to say that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. This is the way God always operates. He treats everyone with love. He never stops loving no matter where people are and what they're doing in their lives. Verse 48 then says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we can read that and we think, Oh man, that's really difficult. I'm supposed to love like that? I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know how I'm ever going to have the strength to do that. And I hope that's the question that you ask today. I hope that you come to the end of yourself today. I hope that I come to the end of myself today. Because otherwise, Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Heaven's not for me. But thankfully, if you read this, it really is a promise. It's kind of using old English there, but it's really saying, therefore you will be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the promise of what God will do in our hearts as we come to know Jesus as our best friend, as we invite him into our life, as we invite him to fill our hearts. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit are those emotions that lead to obedience, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that I can't muster up in myself. But those are things that are fruit of the Spirit that come through abiding in Jesus and His love for us. So it really is about knowing Him. It really is about fixing our eyes on Jesus. It really is about taking time to get to know the God who wants to transform our hearts so that we can have a clean heart. Friends, there is more in our Christian experience. God wants to lead us to a delightful experience. Think about sharing your faith with your friends and neighbors. When you think about sharing about Jesus, do you sometimes have a hesitancy about it? Is it sometimes a frustrating prospect? Is it sometimes thinking, well, that's just really difficult? That too is the will of God that he's longing for us to come to delight in doing. And he promises in Philippians 2.13 that he will work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I want to encourage you not to miss next week because we're going to talk about how 
in the end, that's what's going to lead us to be able to stand in the end. As you read through Bible prophecies, you see what happens in the trend of world events. As you see what's going on, what's going to lead us to be able to stand in the end is that dependence upon Jesus. And we'll look a little more clearly at what that is all about. Christ's Object Lessons, page 384, describes the experience of perfection here in verse, page 384. It says this, Love is the basis of godliness. Whatever the profession, no man has pure love to God unless he has unselfish love for his brother. But we can never come into possession of the Spirit by, what does it say? Trying to love others. So I can't just wake up one morning and say, okay, I have a neighbor that just moved in literally yesterday. And I was thinking, how am I going to love them? I am going to love this neighbor. I'm going to go and get something for them and I'm going to figure out the best ways to love them. I can't actually love them from the heart simply by trying. It's an impossibility. It's beyond my reach as a human being. And God doesn't hold that against us. We were born in sin. We're born into this experience where we are disconnected from God. And what we need is to connect with Jesus. When I take time every morning and I wake up and I spend time in his word and I talk to Jesus and I become better friends with him and I begin to say, God, what about that neighbor across the street that you love so much? And he begins to reveal to me how to reach out to that neighbor. Then it becomes a delightful thing because God told me what to do and I can go and I can share Jesus in a way that's meaningful and life-changing. But we can never come into the possession of the Spirit by trying to love others. And then it goes on to say this, what is needed is the love of Christ in the heart. We need Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. We need Jesus in our hearts. When self is merged in Christ, love springs forth spontaneously. It's the result of a relationship. When you fall in love with somebody, it's no longer a duty to serve them, but instead it becomes a delight. It becomes something that you enjoy. It becomes something that's, that just overflows out of your heart. And this has to be the experience that we have. And if we don't have it, we don't want to be discouraged, but instead we want to fix our eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, I need this. I need to love like this. Otherwise, we have nothing to stand on. It goes on to say, The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. When the sunshine of heaven fills the heart and is revealed in the countenance. When it's just natural, when it's overflowing, when constantly my only desire is to bless and help other people, then... And only then have I reached that state that God is longing for me to experience. And it's something that can only happen through the power of Jesus in my heart. It's only something that can happen as I come to know him. Like was mentioned in the worship service, John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that, you may, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. As you delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 34, verse 7 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, And he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll begin to implant desires in your heart that are according to his will. And you'll find that the most delightful thing in the world is to do his will. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's basically saying that cup 
has got to be completely purified inside and out. But who's the one? Who's the acting force in this verse? Is it me? Is it you? It's the God of peace. And then it goes on to say this. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You can take that promise to the bank. And this morning, I'm not going to tell you to walk out of here and to say, well, I I don't like somebody, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just going to go punch them in the face. I'm not going to tell you that if you see a nice car, you should just go steal that car. The law of God is beneficial in our lives, whether or not we're keeping it with selfless love. You can keep the law selfishly, and it will enhance your life. But it's still not true obedience. True obedience only comes from knowing Jesus. And this is the most freeing thing in the entire universe because it's not about who is the strongest here this morning. It's not about who has the most self-control. It's not about who's able to work themselves up into a frenzy for God. But it's about knowing God and allowing Him to take over in your heart. Allowing Him to have the steering wheel. Allowing Him to work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. After calling the, hip, the, the, the Pharisees hypocrites seven different times in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus ends by telling them what could be the solution if only they would listen. Matthew 23 and verse 37 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings but you were not willing. Isn't that a beautiful picture to think about? I love how it describes it in the Review and Herald. Christ's representation is the most striking one. He would have gathered his chosen people together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. He would have given them protection. They would not have been left defenseless. When the hen sees that her brood is in danger, she calls them under her sheltering wings. She will resist enemy, any enemy that may approach. That's good news this morning. That's what Jesus was longing to do for the Pharisees. He said, the problem is you're trying to defend yourself. The problem is that you won't let me embrace you. The problem is that I'm longing to be that mother hen to you and you simply are not willing. Have you ever seen that happen? We'll look at it in just a second. But we'll go on to read the rest. She will die rather than that those who have fled for protection under her sheltering wings should suffer. This will Christ do for those who fly to him for refuge. He will gather his children together under his mediatorial wings, and there they will be safe. Jesus is longing to put his arms around you this morning. He's longing to be like that hen to just gather you to himself, that you can abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and that is where victory and obedience can come from. And only from that. Only from knowing Jesus. You know, it's a beautiful thing to watch a hen when they perceive danger and you have little chicks there and they're, they're fragile. They have no way of defending themselves. Even if it is a small dog that's trying to attack them, they have no way of keeping that dog from eating them. The dog may not even know how to eat them. But the hen knows how to protect its chicks. All the chicks have to do is to crawl to safety under the mother's wings. 
You get the picture? Jesus says, if only. I'm just longing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If only you would let me be like a mother hen. If only you would let me gather you. If only you let me do it in you. Rather than trying to accomplish it on yourself. You're hypocrites because you're trying to keep the law in your own strength. And friends, to be honest with you, the Seventh-day Adventist church, the Christian church in general, is full of hypocrites. We're trying to do it in our own strength. And unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we're not entering the kingdom of heaven. What we need is to run to Jesus. We get, need to get to know Jesus. We need to fall in love with Jesus because that is where life comes from. Jesus said, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But the key is, but you were not willing. You wouldn't let me embrace you. You wouldn't let me do it for you. You wouldn't depend upon me as your complete sufficiency. You wouldn't grasp my righteousness. Jesus experiences, described in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. If you think about it, for Jesus to go to the synagogue and to go to pray, to go and celebrate uh, the Sabbath, to, to work for his Father, he delighted to do God's will. If you doubt that, you can read in John chapter 4. After he helps the, 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 the woman who comes to the well, at the end of that chapter, the disciples come to him and they have food for him. And they say, Jesus, here, eat something. And he says, no, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they're like, well, who, who gave him food? Who was the one that gave him food? And he says this, my food is to do, the, to do the will of him who sent me. I delight more in doing God's will than in eating. And most of us like to eat. Most of us delight in eating. Most of us, it's not a chore. We don't have to work up an appetite. We don't have to figure out how to eat. God wants for you to delight in obeying him. And that's not something you can create, but it's something that comes through knowing Jesus as your best friend. I don't know about you, but I long to let Jesus gather me as one of his chicks. I long to take time every day to know that I'm abiding under his shadow. Psalm chapter 91 starts off and it says, He who dwells in the secret place will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. As we take time and we start our day focused on Jesus, we take time in his word, we take time to talk to him, we take time in communion, and we don't just leave it there once we're done, but we go throughout our day and we're constantly cognizant that we're in a relationship. You know, I go through my day and I don't every moment remember that I'm married to Leah, but there's always that realization. It's the same with abiding in Jesus. You're in a relationship that should consume your thoughts, that should have your, your greatest affections. That, and if you're not there yet, it's okay. We only love because He first loved us. Keep reading, keep looking, keep asking Him to be the one who protects you from all the temptations, all the stuff of this world. Because to know Him is eternal life. And He's longing for us to delight to do His will. And I can tell you, as a father, that God's going to do whatever it takes to help you through. 
just the other night, I got the privilege of watching my daughters for an evening while Leah went to work on some vacation Bible school stuff down in Santa Maria. Thankfully, they, they, they support us and, and share some of their supplies with us, and they were getting ideas from there. Well, as I was taking care of the girls, usually in the evening they like to go for a walk, so I put them in the stroller, and as I'm walking through Templeton, I'm minding my own business. As I'm walking along, they're starting to fall asleep, and all of a sudden I'm walking past this fence, and the fence begins to jump towards me, and this dog comes, and its paws are on top of the fence, and it's trying to act like a pit bull. It wasn't a pit bull, but it acted like it was going to eat me and my daughters. And you remember that Jesus said, don't be angry without cause. I think there was a cause there, maybe. I don't know. But I began to think of what I was going to do to this dog. I began to immediately start talking to the dog and letting that dog know that I was going to take the dog out. I don't know if I really could have, but that was fully my intention, that I would have done whatever it took. That dog, I can guarantee you, would have had to eat me in order to get to my little girls. That is the same kind of love, except for to an infinite greater degree that the God of the universe, your Father in heaven, has for you. That's why he's saying to you, will you let me? gather you like a hen gathers his chicks will you just rest under the shadow of my wings next week we're going to talk about how the experience that he calls us to to stand in the end is an experience of true rest and that is what we need more than anything else to learn to dwell under the shadow of the almighty to get to know jesus as our best friend to take time with him to rest under his wings Would you bow your head with me this morning? And just as you bow your head, I just want you to take a moment just to thank Jesus. That the reality is that that He doesn't just want you to force yourself, to whip yourself up to be able to obey Him. But that what He wants is to create in you a clean heart where He's working in you to will and to do that that as you depend upon Him, that He's going to lead you to delight to do His will. Just take a moment to thank Him for that. And then if you're like me, maybe you just need to be honest with Him and say, God, I really need You to create a clean heart in me. I don't always have that love for people. And I need it from you. It's a principle that's beyond me and I need a God of love in my heart. Jesus, would you live in me? Pray the prayer of David. Would you create in me a clean heart? Father, may that not just be the prayer that we pray today. May it be the constant and earnest desire of our heart. May it be all that we can think about. God, may we long for more of Jesus. May we fix our eyes on Jesus. And may we be willing to be gathered under your wings and to allow your righteousness to fill our hearts with delight as we run after Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.